And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save, to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Please be seated. If you are the parent of or a college student yourself, uh, after our services are over, if you'd meet me right down here for a minute or two, I think I might have something that would interest you. You know, we started this morning uh, looking at the very beginning. So I guess as we look at the life of Christ, we, we need to look at that final miracle he did. Let's take an opportunity this evening to look at the very last miracle of Jesus the Christ. Uh-oh, wrong direction. It is unfortunate to think our lifespan really is fleeting, much like that cartoon arrow. Do you feel as old as you are? I know the answer is some mornings yes, some mornings no. What happened all the time? You know, when you're, when you're really young, it seems like uh, years take forever to go by. It seems like Christmas never comes. It seems like my birthday never gets here. And then for some reason, when you get out of school, those years start ticking by very quickly. As a matter of fact, I had a, a, an older wise gentleman once tell me that the days will go by slow and the years go by fast. And how right he was. What happens to all of our time? My mother could stand here if you would allow her to and regale you with stories of how I was the world's most wonderful baby. There are several congregations around the great state of Alabama who could regale you with how many times they changed my diapers. And it's weird to have them call you and ask you to speak. And it's weird to have that mother with whom has taught you a great deal of things within the Bible call you and ask you biblical questions. Where does life go? Just seems to fly by pretty quickly. You know, Jesus did all types of miracles. Here is a rendition of John chapter 9 or John chapter 5, depending on how you want this to end. In both John chapter 9 and John chapter 5, Jesus heals a blind man spitting on the ground, making clay, and rubbing it into his eyes. He tells one in five to go to the pool of Bethsaida. He tells the one in chapter 9 to go to the pool of Siloam. Both men go to those pools. Both men wash their eyes, and immediately they can see. But generally, when you and I look at it, we think of it more like 
parlor tricks. We think of it more like, well, like the television show, Fool Us. Does anybody like card tricks? Magic tricks? Anybody awake? All right. My favorite are the card tricks where they say, come right up here and watch this. And they're doing it right here in front of you. And with, with sleight of hand, they, they move something around that I'm not paying attention to. Imagine that. And, and I get fooled. And I love that. And I always try to figure out, how did he do that? It must be magic. And unfortunately for us, we view the miracles of Jesus and the miracles in the Bible in the same way I view that up-close magic trick. I don't know how it happened, so it must be magic. I don't know how Jesus spit on the ground, rubbed it in that man's eyes, and then he was able to see must be magic. Oh, no. Don't downplay the magnitude of the miraculous things Jesus did. Generally, when we think about the miracles, we think about the New Testament. Matter of fact, we generally go to Jesus himself. However, here are 17 different uh, instances in the Old Testament where God used uh, miracles to prove a point, and I have yet to put up there the creation itself. I was going to be all smarty-smarty and put all of them up there, but there's a lot of them in there. They are, the, the, the Old Testament is replete with miracle after miracle after miracle with God proving himself to have someone listen. These are small plagues. The flood, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the ten plagues, I can't read it back there, the pillars of cloud and flame, the Red Sea. All of those things are pointing toward God and his message toward mankind. And what we look at is the miracle of Jesus. And those are the miracles we're going to look at tonight. You remember that first miracle? Found in John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine. He turns, he's at a, at a um, wedding reception. He shows himself to have power over over nature. But it shows in a very odd way. You see, God has been turning water into wine since day number three. That's a natural process of the grapevine. When we water a grapevine and those grapes grow on there, they get big and plump and juicy. You know what's inside those grapes? Grape juice. That's a natural process of, of a grapevine. Now, Jesus did this without the luxury of time. Instantly. Hundreds of gallons. Instantly. And if you'll read carefully in John chapter 2, what you'll find out there is that it was not instantly in the pot. They dipped that out, and as they were going from that pot to distribute that throughout the party, it changed. The first of the miraculous, John would write, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, John chapter 2, verse number 11. We see him heal a, 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 uh, a Jairus' daughter next. She's sick. Jairus comes to her, to him rather, and, and implores that he would heal his daughter. 
He said, well, let's go to your house. No, 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 don't come to my house. I'm a man of authority. I tell these people to go here, and they go. I tell them to do this, and they do it. I say jump, they say how high. Just heal her. You know, without the aid of ever seeing her, Jesus' miracle was over space and time there. You didn't have to be in the same city with this girl to heal her. You have Jesus healing the blind. How many blind people did he heal? I know of two. What if he healed a hundred? It's pretty good. Hey, side note for you, if he just healed one, that's pretty good. How about the one who has the demon-possessed girl that they're making money off of? And Jesus heals that girl. What about when Jesus is standing before the very open tomb in John chapter 11 of his friend? You know, as he walks up to that tomb... The sisters of Lazarus come out to him and said, if you had been here, he would not have died. And I guess I've been too hard on Mary and Martha over the years. But when I hear that, when I read that, I think in my mind, well, that's a nice hello to Jesus. Why are you saying things like that? To him. I, you know, I kind of get upset for him. You know what he didn't do? He didn't get upset. These two do, sisters of, of Lazarus are grieving. And you know what they thought? Had Jesus been here, he would not have let my brother die. And that's what, he, that's what they say to him. Sarah Lord standing there at the tomb. And as it would be custom of the day, you'd have mourners there. It's still a, a process that happens sometimes uh, in different countries around the world where people are paid to go to funerals and cry and bemoan the one who has passed away. You know, at your funeral, if, if, if the most people cry, then you win. And here he has these same type of people. As a matter of fact, they're going to look at Jesus and say, how he loved him. Jesus is going to stand at the opening of that tomb. And in what I would consider, and you don't have to consider this, what I would consider the biggest miracle. Although, as if healing a blind man is not enough, or making the lame walk is not enough. To stand at the tomb, the open tomb of his friend and say, Lazarus, Come forth. And Lazarus is going to walk out 
of that tomb. Before he does that, he's going to stand there for a moment. And over a hotly debated sign of emotion, Jesus is going to cry. So many will ask why, and the real answer is nobody knows. When he says, Lazarus, come forth, he's going to walk right out of that tomb, and they're going to start taking these death clothes off of him. The miracles that Jesus would perform while he was here were jaw-dropping, were eye-opening. These were miracles that you could not look past. You could not... uh, try to get around and say, well, he did this with smoke and mirrors. These are things that happen immediately to people's legs who could not walk, to people's eyes who could not see, to, to people's hands, to people's bodies with leprosy, to a dead person's body. These are just miracles that no one could get around. And yet we still have... N- We still haven't gotten to the subject yet. We still haven't talked about the last miracle because there's going to be one more. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I have never in my life seen a miracle. And you have never in your life seen a miracle. But you will. Trust me. You will. There is coming a day in the which Jesus will return, according to Acts chapter 1, verse number 10, beginning and running through about verse number 13 or 14. You remember those apostles as they're standing there watching Jesus ascend, and they're, they're staring up at him and, and hoping to stare just as long as they can and see just a glimpse of him maybe until he completely disappears. And right there beside him are two men in white, two angels in white who would send messages back to them from God. And they said, what are you doing with your mouth open, standing up, looking at the sky? Do you know that Jesus, who left that same way, is coming just back the same fashion in which he left? Now, weren't you told by him to go do something? So go to Jerusalem and wait. That last miracle has yet to come about. But Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, that it was, it was going to happen. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, notice this phrase, I will come again. To receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The angel in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7 said Jesus would return the same fashion he left. In James chapter 5 and verse 7, James mentions it. Peter mentions it in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 13. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul mentions it. How many more times within the Bible do we have to mention that Jesus is going to return and you and I are going to see a miracle? Are you ready for it? It's going to be great. Matter of fact, in Jude chapter uh, 1, verse number 15, he's going to return for all. In, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28 that we read just a moment ago, he's not going to return as a sacrifice. It's an appointed and a man wants to die, then after this, the judgment. And Jesus will not, verse 28, not return as a sacrifice for a second time. He's going to return as that judge. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 20, and verse number 48, 
Jesus says, the words that I speak are what's going to be the judgment bar of mankind. Did you know that that judgment bar in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1 is going to be for the living and the dead? Wait just a second. The living and the dead? All of them are going to see Him? Yes. You'll not escape into eternity without seeing one miracle. Even if you're dead when you're raised and see Jesus there in His return... You'll have seen one. What a great idea that is. The last miracle of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22 and 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 12, you read all of those particular passages, you'll find the children of God continuing to wait and to look and to long for that last miracle. And as a matter of fact, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to these people who say, All right, Jesus has gone. And he said he's coming back, so what I'm going to do is just hang out right here on top of this hill and wait for him to come back, because he's, he's got to be coming back soon. Paul would write and say, hey guys, get back to work. You just keep working, and when he comes, we'll stop working and everything will be lovely. All of the miracles that Jesus would have done on this earth will pale into comparison with the time that he stops Time and exposes eternity. That's what's going to happen on the day Jesus returns. So here's the question for you. As we look at that last miracle, are you ready to see it? You, you, may, you may jump at that answer and say, yes, I'm ready to see it. Really, what preparations have you made to be ready to see that last miracle. Well, I've lived a good life and I think... Ooh, don't risk an eternity away from God with the phrase, I think. Know assuredly that you have followed God's plan. And knowing that assuredly, a home in heaven awaits. A home in heaven awaits. Did, did you hear that? Did you understand that? A home of rest. A home of no more sorrow and pain and, and death awaits for those who would be faithful to God and are prepared to see the last miracle. Is that you? You might say, well, preacher, I'm not, I'm not real sure. I don't know if I've done everything God wants me to do. Listen, God's plan of salvation is so easy that somebody from Alabama can remember it. Hear what he has to say. Listen to it. Obey it. Follow him as the Savior. Follow Him as the Messiah, as the Lord, as the Master. Repent of your sin. Change your mind on those things. Confess Him as the Messiah. Be baptized. Wash away that old man of sin and sorrow. Be raised to walk in a newness of life, Romans chapter 6. 
be added to his family. Be the one who is looking and longing to see that last miracle. And make sure you live the rest of your life longing for that miracle. You know, as we looked at Jesus this morning, at the very beginning as a baby, we notice you can't look at his birth without looking at his death. Tonight, really, you can't look at the miraculous things he did without looking at his second coming. You and I need to be prepared. If you're not prepared, now is the time to be prepared. Follow his plan for baptism. Follow his plan uh, for being faithful unto him and come back home right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement. Have you-